There are two kinds of people in the world. There are people that enjoy writing thank you notes, and there's the rest of us. I wish thank you notes were smaller. I wish thank you notes were the size of a business card, because I don't know what to write in a thank you note. I mean, I know what I'm supposed to write. I don't know how to fill that much space with what I'm supposed to write. And so when I write a thank you note, it usually sounds like this. Dear whoever, thank you for the really nice gift or gesture. It was a really nice gift or gesture. I am thankful for it. So thank you again with thanks, Eric. Those are my thank you notes. Writing thank you notes feels so unnecessarily repetitive, like it's a contest to see how many different ways you can say thank you. Well, this morning, our passage in the Bible is kind of like that. It's about as long as one of those thank you notes. You could fit it on a standard thank you note size. And it pretty much just says one thing over and over again in a bunch of different ways, and it too can feel unnecessarily repetitive. Like if someone decided to edit the Bible, we could shrink these seven verses down to three. We really don't need this many verses. But unlike thank you notes that I think you're supposed to read and be like, oh, and then you throw them away, we should not throw this Bible text away. In fact, we should meditate on it. We should receive it. We should believe it. And think about how it tells us about the Lord. So let us turn to this text that is greater than a thank you note and yet has that vibe to it. Genesis chapter 21 verses 1 through 7 as we continue our series through Genesis looking at the life of Abraham. And we got a big one here today. Things finally happen. Genesis 21 beginning in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son In his old age. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have your word in our language. And though it is in our language, there are some ways in which your word still is a bit unusual to us when it repeats itself, when it seems to not give us the information that we want, when phrases don't seem very clear at the beginning. And so, God, we pray that you would give us understanding by the Holy Spirit today. Lord, please use me to faithfully proclaim your word in spite of my sin. 
And may Your Word go forth in the power of the Spirit and give us open ears to hear Your Word, to understand it, but also open hearts to gladly receive it. Work in us by Your Spirit. May Your Word go forth and not return empty, but God, do what You have promised to do through Your Word and work in us, O God, for Your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So today, as we look at our passage, we are going to look essentially at the three main characters, or the mainest characters. Isaac gets left out. He's a very young baby. He doesn't do a whole lot. So we're going to look at God, we're going to look at Abraham, and we're going to look at Sarah, and how they each show us a picture of what's going on. And so more than anything, these seven verses are about how God always keeps His promises. He does what He says He will do. And God makes sure we hear that loud and clear again and again. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. I hope you can hear what he's trying to say. Because if you can't, you need to get your ears checked. God does what he says he will do. Three times in those first two verses, God says, I did the thing I told you I was going to do. I keep my word. I do what I promise to do. And nothing will stand in the way of me doing what I say I will do. Three times in this verse, we are told that Abraham's an old dude. He's a hundred years old when Isaac is born. That didn't bother God. He gave him a son. Sarah's name is mentioned again and again, six times in these seven verses. It didn't matter that she was barren, that she was 90 years old. I'm going to give Abraham the son that I promised. This isn't going to be a Hagar and Ishmael situation where we use some other younger woman. No, this child is coming through Sarah just as I promised. He gave the barren woman a child. And that's kind of God's calling card. It's what he likes to do. It's like what he likes to leave behind. I think about Home Alone and Harry and Marv, who are the wet bandits, and they leave the spigots on in the houses to know that this is where we came. God does that, but it's with barren women having children. Every place he goes, it seems that this happens again and again. It was in our Old Testament reading that Hannah was barren and God gave her Samuel. We'll see it in the next generation in Genesis that Isaac, Abraham's son, his wife, Rebecca, is barren and can't have kids. Wouldn't you know, God does something about that. The next generation, Jacob's wife, Rachel, barren, can't have kids. Guess what happens? Okay, John the Baptist's mom, Elizabeth, she was super old, barren, couldn't have kids, had a kid. Wouldn't you know, God loves doing this stuff. And so why? Why does he like doing that so much? What is it about overcoming barrenness that God likes to do it again and again? Well, it shows us that God can do what is impossible for us to do on our own. And that can be hard for us in our modern age when we have fertility drugs or in vitro procedures, but that's not going to work on Sarah, who's 90 I don't think modern medicine has quite caught up to that. 
And so by giving life where there is no human possibility of giving life, God shows He can do what we cannot do. It doesn't mean He will always act in that way, but it certainly means He's capable of it. And we can be certain, no matter how unlikely it may seem, that if God says He's going to do something, He's going to do it. The Bible is filled with examples of God saying, hey, I'm going to do this. And then he does it. And to us, when we read our Bibles, it can sound super repetitive. But God's point is, trust me, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. He tells Moses, hey, you, you're going to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses is like, like that's really going to happen. Guess what? It happens. God comes to Joshua and says, all right, here's my battle plan to defeat the city of Jericho. And it's a real strange plan. God, Joshua obeys God's instructions, and wouldn't you know, Jericho falls. Jesus tells his disciples three separate times that, hey guys, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'm going to rise from the dead. And wouldn't you know, that happened. God keeps his word about these great acts of salvation. But he also keeps his word when there are threats of judgment. God told that wilderness generation, including Moses, that you will not enter the promised land because of your sin. And they didn't. God spoke through the prophet Elijah, saying that that wicked queen Jezebel was going to be killed and dogs, wild dogs, were going to lick up her blood. Guess how she died? That way. Okay? God warned the Israelites that if they continued in their sin and disobeyed and rebelled against Him, they would be conquered and He would send them into exile in foreign lands. And that happened too. Loud and clear, all through the Bible, if God says He is going to do something, He will do it. It includes great blessings, And it includes fearsome judgments. If he says it, he will do it. And that's not just true for folks in the Bible. That's true for us too. And so here are these two words from the New Testament to us. First one from John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. God said that. He will do that. This word from 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has said that. He will do that. He has done that. God keeps His promises to us. He always does what He says He will do. And if He is always going to keep His word, then we should trust His word, just as Abraham did. In Abraham, we see the right way to respond to God keeping his word. We're given two very quick examples of Abraham keeping God's word. The first one's in verse 3, where we read this. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. 
Now that doesn't sound all that exciting, but that's Abraham obeying God's word. Because back in chapter 17, God told Abraham this, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. That's kind of rough. Abraham and Sarah, again, super old, 99 and 89, when they get that word from God, and they had not had any children yet. Imagine the time they would have spent thinking of the best baby names over 90 years. Like, they would have thought about it. They would have been like, man, I can't wait for Abraham Jr., or you know what? I want something like new and hip like Braxton or Jackson, but there's an X and a K in it somewhere. Like I want a really cool name for my son, but they weren't given the option of consulting the baby name book. God said his name's going to be Isaac. That's it. And when the son was born, Abraham said his name's Isaac. I know that sounds simple. How hard is it to give your son the name God told you to give him? It's really not that hard, but it's amazing how easy it is for us to mess up simple obedience when it comes to God's commands. And so instead of picking a name of his own choosing, he trusted God's choice. He responded to the gracious gift of a child by obeying and keeping the word of God, no matter how easy or unimportant it seemed. So that was the first example of his obedience. The second example of his obedience is in verse 4. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Back in chapter 17, God instituted circumcision as the sign of the covenant with Abraham and his family. It was a visible marker of the special relationship that God had made with Abraham and his descendants. And God specifically commanded that every son born of Abraham or in his house would be circumcised on the eighth day. And so Abraham did just as God commanded. He didn't circumcise Isaac on the sixth day, the seventh day, the ninth day. He didn't do it two months later. He did just as God commanded him. Abraham recognized that God just did what he said he would do. In exactly the way that he said he would do it. By Sarah at this time. And so Abraham kept the word God told him to keep. Just as God said he should. Circumcise him on the eighth day. God kept his word and Abraham was supposed to keep God's word. This reminds me of a story that Abby tells from her childhood. I know she's not here today. James isn't feeling well, so... She gave me permission to tell it, I promise. But when Abby, and she has one older sister, they would, when they were in elementary school, her older sister loved playing this game called Princess and Servant. And for the first half of the day, Abby would have to do everything her older sister, the princess, said. She would be the servant, with the idea that in the afternoon, the roles would reverse, and Abby would get to be the princess, and her sister would then become the servant. As you could imagine... Lunchtime presented all sorts of new games that we could play for the afternoon that weren't the reverse of princess and servant. And so God is not like Abby's older sister in that game. He does not force us to obey commands and then go back on his word and be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. He doesn't do that. God always keeps his word. And he shows us that we should also always keep his word by trusting his promises, by obeying his commands, knowing that he is faithful and we also should be faithful to him. 
And so we see that Abraham learned that lesson. Abraham obeyed. And we will see in a couple weeks how far that obedience is willing to go. Sarah was still learning this lesson. And though we have focused mostly on Sarah, or mostly on Abraham for our chapters, because that's where the Bible focuses, Sarah is really a big focus in this chapter. Again, her name is said six times, and Sarah is the one who speaks in verses 6 and 7. Abraham doesn't speak in this chapter. Technically, he calls someone Isaac, but there's no like quotation marks Abraham said. It's Sarah talking. She conceives. She gives birth in her old age. Her barrenness was the obstacle that God overcame. And so it seems fitting that we turn our attention to Sarah here. And Sarah speaks in verse 6. And here's what she said. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Now, if that sounds weird to you, it should. Because no one talks like that at all. And we're like, God has made laughter for me. Laugh over me. What, what's going on here? Why does it say this? Well, the reason this sounds goofy in English is because we don't know what to make of it. The Hebrew word for laughter, which is the same name for Isaac, Isaac's name is laughter, that word for laughter typically means a mocking laughter, a negative, scoffing sort of laughter. It's the laughter that Sarah laughed in chapter 18 when she overheard God telling Abraham that she was going to have a son at age 90. She laughed thinking it was a ridiculous idea. And so we don't know what to do because this seems like she should be saying something positive, but she's talking about negative laughter. And so what do we do do with this? Well, it seems that verse 6 has a kind of double meaning. It's intended to go both ways. On the one hand, you could read verse 6 to describe mocking laughter. That God has made a mockery of me. Everyone who hears about this will laugh at me. And you can understand it that way. But you can also understand it like this. That God has filled me with laughter. And everyone who hears will rejoice with me. You're meant to read it both ways. But in English, we're like, I don't know what to do. So we make it sound as dumb as possible so that you've got to figure out what it says. And now, most of you are probably sitting there going like, wow, that was super nerdy, Pastor Eric. Thank you for that. What does that matter? Why do I care about these Hebrew words and double meanings? Well, because it's perhaps the best way Sarah could think of to tell her story. That her story changed when her laughter changed. And we see that in verse 7. Here's what Sarah says in verse 7. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Who would have said that? And Sarah's point is, I wouldn't have. In fact, I didn't say that. I doubted it. Sarah is describing herself. Sarah, more than anyone, doubted God's promise that she would give birth to a child in her old age. And yet now... It has happened. 
the miraculous fulfillment of God's promise has occurred and it's changed her life. And so this double meaning verse is her life verse in a sense. Because when she first heard God's word, she thought it was a joke. There is no way a 90-year-old could give birth to a child. Seriously, just try for like 10 seconds to imagine a woman in her late 80s pregnant. I can't. Like, it's impossible. No, we don't see that. That just doesn't happen at all. We can't think about it. And this was her. She knew. But then just a few months after hearing God make that promise, her belly started to get firm. And she started getting a little bit of that morning sickness. And then she started showing. And it's the, is this really happening? Like right now to me? And then when she finally gave birth and held her own son in her arms, she would have cried tears of joy and laughed. I can't believe this actually happened. I just can't believe it. That God was able to replace her mocking laughter with a new kind of laughter. He took that sinful laughter and redeemed it, even naming their child laughter to remind her that her story went from mocking disbelief to amazed belief. That God rewrote Sarah's story when it seemed like the book was closed, like the end had already been written. There was still yet another chapter that God wanted to write about Sarah being a mother. And that's the story that others are going to hear about. And Sarah knows that. Sarah now is a 90-year-old mom. That's kind of different. And so some people would respond to hearing about this with mockery. They won't appreciate the blessing she has received. They'll see her as someone who's in way over her head, who is not going to want to get up multiple times at night, who's not going to want to chase a toddler around, who can't be the mother that this child needs. They won't see Isaac as a miracle, but a kind of burden on this elderly woman. Even others might look at Sarah and think, that's not your kid. You stole someone else's kid. You just essentially took someone's baby so you could pretend to be a mom. Because really, what woman that age had ever had a child? And so plenty of people will laugh at her. And she will have to endure the same mocking laughter that she exhibited. But others, like her husband, will laugh with her and rejoice in her unexpected blessing. They will see Isaac as evidence that God can do the miraculous. They will hear the story of God doing just as he promised, and they will laugh with joy that this God exists. Many will see this peculiar blessing from God as a wonderful thing to rejoice about. They'll make songs about it, that Sarah once was barren, but now she's a mom. We have songs like that too. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And so it's not with barrenness perhaps for us, but God changes our story as well. Can we see how perhaps in the past we looked down on God's promises, viewing them with disbelief or disdain? 
Can we look back and see how God intervened to save us through the miraculous blessings we have in Christ? Do we see that we too have a story to tell about a God who kept His promise to send His Son to save us? See, there's going to be plenty of people that think we're peculiar for what we believe. Who think we're weird for how God has changed our lives. Some will mock our faith in Jesus, but plenty of others, hopefully those of us here, will rejoice. Will rejoice with us in faith and obedience. That will want to hear one another's stories about how God has kept His promises to you just as He has to me. And so let us rejoice with our children, our grandchildren, with one another in telling the stories of our salvation and how God has been faithful to His promises, how He has kept His word to us by sending His Son Jesus to save us. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank You for the way in which You change people's lives. Some lives You change at the very beginning. There are some of us who can't even remember a time when we didn't believe in Jesus. Others, their lives change much later in life, like Sarah, whose life was completely turned upside down at age 90. Lord, wherever we are on that spectrum, You are a God who changes lives because of Jesus. And so may we rejoice. May the stories we shared not be stories of our moral improvement or how we figured it all out. May they be stories that glorify You, O God, that lift high the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who does make us found after we have been lost, who forgives us though we are sinners, and who welcomes us as sons and daughters into the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.